Just kind of a quick catch up as far as Revelation chapter 20. Uh, We've gone through about the first six verses. I do want to go back and uh, talk about verse 5 in just a moment because of Bonnie's question last week. You may remember that in Revelation 20, the Bible says that Satan has been bound. And that is, we think, something that took place because Jesus came to the earth because of all the things that he did. And Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, say that for a thousand years, that is this complete period of time, this perfect period of time, uh, we're thinking about the Christian dispensation, Satan is not able to deceive the nations. He still has power, he still has uh, significant power, but as far as worldwide deception, John says that's going to be limited. But a time will come, he says, there at the end of the thousand years, uh, at the close of the Christian age, we might describe it in that way, Satan, the Bible says, is going to be loosed. And he's going to be loosed not because he can possess people again, but he's going to be loosed so he can go out and deceive the nations. And God's people, as you can imagine, are not pictured as faring too well under that time if he's out there able to uh, deceive people in a lot of different ways. And then we talked about the thousand years and the first resurrection uh, last week. You may remember as we laid some things out on the board that that first resurrection, we described that, defined that as uh, becoming a Christian. And if we become a Christian during that uh, thousand years, during the Christian dispensation, we have a part in the uh, first resurrection, and that takes us back to Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. We die with Christ, we're buried with Christ, in baptism we're raised up, and then John says we we rule with Christ. Uh, There's that spiritual position, if you will, throughout the Christian era. Uh, There was... A question, as I said, Bonnie asked the question about Revelation 20, verse 5. If you go back and you look at verses 4 and 5, um, there does seem to be some difficulty with that fifth verse. Verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And such as worship not the beast, neither his image, and receive not the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay. And then it gets, as uh, verse 5 starts talking about the rest of the dead. Well, after Bonnie's question, I went back. I normally consult um, multiple translations before I teach a class or preach a sermon. But in this case, I didn't consult two paraphrases. I went back and looked at those two paraphrases, and the paraphrases actually help, um, I think, explain the thought. After you get through verse 4, the paraphrase in verse 5 says, this is the first resurrection. In other words, instead of putting this is the first resurrection at the end of verse 5, as you're probably seeing your translation, it puts it at the beginning of verse 5. And that really helps because he's talking about these people, you know, the, the souls, some of them had been beheaded for the testimony of Christ and they didn't submit to the beast and so forth. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years and this is the first resurrection. They live, they reign, they become Christians. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. And then John talks about the rest of the dead Well, these would be the people who uh, were dead in sin. They didn't participate in the first resurrection, and thus they didn't live, if you will, until the end of time. And that, of course, is going to be the resurrection at the end of time. So um, I thanked her for the question, and like I say, I think that helps clarify some things. All right, Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8. And when the thousand years, that's again this complete period of time, uh, round description for the Christian era, if you will, when the thousand years are finished, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall come forth to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them together to the war, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. 
Well, verse 7 is related to what we said at the beginning of the class, as well as what we find back there in verses 1 through 3. When we think about Jesus, his coming to the earth, his work and so forth, um, that work was able to bind or restrict the devil for a thousand years, this complete period of time. And as we said earlier, he's not able to deceive the nations. But John promises, and we'll say a little bit more about this. We've touched on it in previous classes. John said before the Lord returns, Satan is going to be loosed. He's not going to be imprisoned, if you will, anymore. Uh, That restriction as far as being able to uh, deceive the nations is going to be lifted, and he's going to use that. Now let me toss this out for your consideration. I'm going to ask it, but I'm not going to ask for an answer. Just, Just think mentally about the question. Why would God allow the devil to be loosed for a period of time before the Lord returns? Now just mentally ponder that question for just a moment. Why would God allow the devil to be not only loosed, but he's allowing the devil to be free to the point where he can deceive the nations. The devil can go out and just have basically an all-out assault on the world. Well, let me toss a couple of things out for your consideration. When did Jesus come? About how many years ago? 2000. And what's happened with the gospel since that time? All right, it's spread you know, pretty much worldwide. You can still find some pockets, some places today where it needs to go. But basically, God's message has literally gone into all the world. And when you think about passages like Galatians 3, the promise to Abraham, remember Abraham was told, in your descendants, who's going to be blessed? All the nations. So we have today sometimes people saying, well, you had your turn, and now it's time for me to have my turn. Why don't we say that? That's fair, isn't it? You got your option to do what you want to do and now. So it seems to me that when you look at what God has done with the gospel, God has said, all right, I'm going to um, set up this system called Christianity. I'm going to let it go far and wide. It's going to exist for a thousand years. Well, God could act like a big bully and say, this is going to be, you know, you've had your time in the past and now I'm going to have my time and you're never going to get another shot. But God, it seems to me, is so fair. He says, you control the nations for a long time, really up until the time of Christ. I'm going to get my turn, and now, devil, what are you going to get? You're going to get your your second shot at going and trying to, uh, once again, um, he talks about deceiving the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, that is, uh, the whole world. And then there may be another thought here as well. You think God's afraid of the devil? And here's one way to illustrate it. Devil, you want to use your power? You want to see if you're stronger than I am? I'm going to throw the door open to the whole world. I'm going to let you deceive the the whole world. Trick them if you can. And I'm going to sit by, at least for a time, and let you have your way with folks. And then it seems to me, and if you want to add a comment after this, that's, that's perfectly fine. You may have some better ideas or some additional thoughts. Then you have this additional idea, Revelation 20, verses 7 and 8. What about free will? We've often talked about mankind possessing free will from God. Man can make a choice here or there. So if you look at it from the perspective of free will as well, God has said what to the world? Here I am. Here's the gospel. What can you do? You can follow me. But if he allows the devil to have the kind of free reign, if you will, deceiving the nations before Jesus' next and final return, doesn't that also give man ultimately once again free will? God says the gospel's been made fully available. Here's the devil. He's out there doing his work. 
and you, humanity, this is going to be uh, another grand illustration of you being able to choose what's wrong or what's right, you decide. So it really is an amazing thing when God says the devil at the end of the thousand years is going to be uh, allowed to go out and, and uh, deceive the nations. Uh, so it's, it's really some phenomenal concepts being expressed. Thoughts that you may have. Stan? The last thought that you made, I think, would be probably uh, we have a, a parallel to it in, in Job, and it points out the fact that Job chose God, even though Satan threw everything at him that he could. Uh, so I guess I, I don't like that idea, but maybe it has validity. Um, the other thing I'm wondering about is whether or not he has, is going to loose uh, Satan or allow him back into the world to, to throw everything he's got into the world to create the same situation which has been mentioned that things will be like they were in the time of Noah. Yeah, I'm just going to stop you on that point because we're headed there. And if you want to say some more about that, that's fine. But let's just put that on the middle burner right now. And just hold on to that thought for a couple of minutes. So I don't want to shut you down, but I do want to temporarily stop you. If you're going into that, I'll, I'll just drop it. Okay. Was there another related point that you had there before no, I take Teresa's those hand? Those were the things that I wanted to say. Okay. Very good. Teresa? I guess I'm, I, I understood that the other main was while Christians were on the earth. Yes. Satan is with us. Yes. Yes. So, okay. Uh, and that is one of the things that we've, I know you've not been in all the classes, but the thousand years seems to describe a complete period of time. And we use that expression sometimes. We tell a person, I've told you a thousand times. Well, not literally, but we've told you a sufficient number of times. Um, so you have here this complete period of time. And you have really two things associated with this period of time. You've got the Christian era. And then, I don't like to describe it at the end of the Christian era, so maybe we can describe it as as we, we look at the Christian era and the second coming of Christ, we join those two things together. Um, shortly before the coming of Christ, during the time when people are still becoming Christians, the devil will have his little season. So it's not going to be a separate age, it's not going to be a separate period of time, as far as like the Old Testament in contrast to the New Testament it will still be the period when people are you know, in, uh, encouraged to become Christians or to live uh, the Christian life and so forth. But that um, you know, little season is just another way of describing a period of time before the Lord returns. How long that's going to be, days, weeks, months, years, we don't know. But um, shortly before the Lord returns, the devil will have this, this uh, time to do the kinds of things uh, that we've talked about to see the nations. Well, when you, uh, and again, this was a class that you missed, but to briefly summarize this, we know 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil's like a roaring lion. He goes about seeking whom he may devour. But when you uh, look at Revelation 20, um, and various illustrations have been given to this, for example, if you think of a dog on a chain, the dog is chained, but that doesn't mean he's powerless. You have a fellow who's in a penitentiary. And he may be allowed certain freedoms. That is, he can go outside, uh, maybe the prison walls is work release, or maybe he can be um, you know, inside the um, gated area, but outside the prison walls. So Satan has some freedom. 
He can still tempt. He can still involve himself in some deception. But his, he's on a chain, if you will, right now. And that's why John says during this little season, he's going to be able to deceive the nations. Can't go out and demon uh, possess people like he used to. But there will be an increase in his power where he's able to go out and bring um, a lot of people under his control because of deception. Stan. Um, it's it. The scriptures say in the fullness of time Jesus came. Yeah. Is this, uh, could he have said a very similar thing in this particular case, not necessarily a thousand years, which, which kind of confuses me, but in the fullness of time? Yeah, it's the same idea, at the right time, when the time is right. And, you know, we're going to kind of get back to that as far as the Noah thing, too. But yes, exactly right. Glenda? You do have, when you think about Christ, what was the world like prior to Jesus coming? You can see a little bit of that in Romans chapter 1, where God gave them up. What did you see there prior to the coming of Jesus? Well, let me... Like Job, he had full reign. All right. Yeah, God said you can't kill him. And then when Christ died, uh, he was put in chains. Yes, that's right. Uh, When you think about the world, the ancient world before Christ, what was true about religion? You go back and you look at Assyria... Babylon, Egypt, Medo-Persia. Were they religious people? Oh, yeah. But what was their religion? All right, and idolatry. You know, you worship this idol and you you had all those kinds of things. Uh, And and Satan was ruling the world with that religious deception. But Jesus came. And you remember the passages in the New Testament that, for example, talk about light and life came how? Through the gospel. I mean, Jesus enlightened the world that way. But now again, when the time is right, as Stan mentioned, Galatians 4, um, I believe it's where that idea is expressed, uh, he will once again be able to deceive the nations. All right, we're going to continue to talk about this, but let's move forward a little bit. When Satan is loosed from his prison, Revelation 20, um, will he have a change in attitude? Sometimes you find people who are confined, and once they get out of the confinement, they say, I'm a new man. I've changed my ways. I reform. Will that be true for the devil? No. All right, now he's even, he's going to use that authority, that um, additional power that he receives. So he wants to really wage war um, against humanity. And that's what we saw back in Revelation 12, verse 17. It's what we're also uh, dealing with here. Now, we're not told all of the things or all the tools that Satan might use to um, wage war against the nations during his little season. We do know from passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that deceit is one of his great tools. John mentions that here is deceiving the nations. Do you remember how Paul described this in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen? He says, For even Satan fashions himself. He presents himself as an... All right, Glenda had it. As an angel of light. Well, that's pretty deceptive. And the devil's very, very good when it comes to uh, deception. And we know from John 8, verse 44, Jesus said the devil is the father of... All right, again, that's the right answer. So... Uh, very, very good about misleading people when it comes to God and His Word. Uh, and that's one of the first things we see when it comes to the devil in the Bible, isn't it? Genesis 3. Wasn't he deceiving Eve? Well, he did. You know, you're not going to die. God's told you that. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. That's not going to be the consequence. Now, I do want to suggest this as well. Now, we've not talked about this uh, up to this point. But remember, three of the major seals, or three of the major symbols in the book of Revelation are the seals 
we read about seven seals. Then we read about seven trumpets, and then we read about seven, no, the seven plagues. We do have the seven candlesticks, so seven congregations, Revelation 2 and 3. Um, I've suggested, as you look at this book, the first six seals relate to the Christian era. Seal 7 describes things after the Lord returns. And then the same thing is true with the trumpets. The first six trumpets relate to things, you know, warnings, if you will, during the Christian era. The seventh deals with things after the Lord returns. And then the seven plagues. Again, if you're not willing to follow God, the first six plagues describe things related to the Christian era. The seventh describes things after the Lord returns. Today I want to toss out an additional thought. If you go back and you look at the six seals, and the six trumpets, and the six plagues, when you deal with the sixth item um, of all the, of those three things, the sixth item seems to be parallel to the little season that we have here in Revelation chapter 20. The sixth seal, parallel to what we have here in Revelation 20. That one seems a little less clear, but still I think you can make a case for that. The sixth trumpet, parallel to the little season that Satan's working um, in the world to deceive the nations with, and then the sixth trumpet, or the sixth uh, plague. Uh, so if you go back and you look at those, I think you can see um, a relationship to what we have here in uh, Revelation chapter um, 20, verse 3. Now as I look at this, because of where we are, because of what our world is like, one of the questions that hasn't been asked, but it might be on your mind, are we in the little season now? Well, if somebody asked me that, I would say yes, I would say no, and I'd say maybe. I don't know. But as I look at our world, at least it seems to me that it's possible. And I say that based on some of the things that we see. If you go back and you look at our world, here's some of the things that we find. And the things are fairly common. We've got atheism. We've got hedonism. Humanism. Agnosticism. Deism. Denominationalism. Hinduism. Buddhism. Humanism. Pluralism. Postmodernism. Judaism. Mohammedism. Pentecostalism. Annihilation. Um, basically, uh, annihilationism, uh, Satanism, communism, Darwinism, materialism, feminism, astrology, and all kinds of other false ways. When you start looking at the various beliefs that we have, people are deceived. And they're deceived in a lot of different ways. And, and maybe we're not in the little season. As I said, that could be uh, the case. Uh, but at the same time, it could be the case that we are in the season. Uh, we've got failing families. We've got a lack of natural affection. We've got people trying to deny uh, various forms of free speech and open discussion. Uh, a lot of morally reprobate behavior when it comes to people of all ages and all cultures. Uh, and one of the interesting things to me, if we're not in the little season now, and again, I don't know, there is no way to know, but if this is not a time where Satan is deceiving the nations, I've got to wonder what it would be like to live during that time. In other words, if Satan is still loosed in the sense of Revelation chapter 20, imagine what life is going to be like when he is loosed and he's actually able to go out and deceive the nations. Um, so again, we could be in that time, uh, you know, maybe on the um, uh, first part of it, the um, beginning of it, and uh, again, maybe it's going to be something that happens a little later. We just don't know. But this does seem to be parallel to what Stan described or referenced earlier and what we've talked about in some preceding classes. You have a lot of parallels in the Old Testament which point forward to events in the New. For example, Moses pointed forward to Christ. Uh, you've got the various feasts in the Old Testament that pointed forward to things related to the New Testament. And Noah and his experience the flood, uh, all that information does seem to describe uh, some things associated with the end of time. That is... Evil got to the point where everybody had made their choice for God. They were on board with him. 
no pun intended, or they were not on board with him. And once that situation had come to a head, God said, okay, it's time to wrap things up. Well, as you look at the uh, New Testament era, that same kind of thing. Jesus compared his coming, uh, next coming, to uh, the time of Noah. And as you have Satan going out there and deceiving the nations, what would you, as far as evil, conclude? What's evil going to be like? If he's able to deceive the whole world, the four corners of the earth. Evil striving. All right, evil striving. And it would almost seem like evil has reached a pinnacle. God has said to the devil, here you are. You're going to be able to go out and deceive the nations, do what you want to do. And that's going to exist for a period of time. Well, people being people, he should not have uh, much difficulty. And yet, even though evil uh, is going to uh, prevail and be huge, look at verses 9, 14, and 15 in Revelation 20. And they went out over the breadth of the earth. Well, that's Satan. And that's the deception, the uh, consequences of it. I mean, he just has a lot of success during a little season. Uh, They spread over the breadth of the earth, and then they decide, uh, the evil folks, the evil works, they compass, they encircle somebody. Who do they encircle? The saints, God's people. So what's it sound like? Satan, he's uh, doing his work during the little season, and finally, what's the state that's reached? God's people like feel like they've been, it looks like the church has been, you know, you're, you've got your soldiers, you've got your little band there, and you've got soldiers on every side. And it almost seems like putting it in military terms, they've got the guns aimed at you, or they're ready to shoot you with the bow and arrow. And just when it seems like all is lost, what's said? All right, fire comes down in heaven from heaven and devours them. And then as you look down at verses um, 14 and 15, there you have some information about the end of time, death, Hades. Uh, they're cast into the lake of fire and so forth. The people not written in the uh, Lamb's Book of Life, they're also cast into the fire. So um, we've said at various times that sometimes it seems like God rescues his people in the nick of time. Well, that, I think, can be said about Jesus' next and final coming. It's going to look like evil has... Uh, pretty much stamped out the church, and when it looks like things are lost, then God says, okay, time for the sun to show up, time for the sun to uh, clean house, and the devil's little season um, is over. Um, I've got another point about that. It's a logical point. It may be um, already in your mind, but before I talk about that, we'll see if there's anything that you want to add or ask. Glenda? Again, the nick, the nick of time. You think about the um, Egyptians and how they're fleeing from the, uh, or the uh, Hebrews rather, they're fleeing from the Egyptians. And again, you know, it looks like can't go forward, really can't uh, go back and try to fight the army. So what's going to happen? God in the nick of time. And throughout the Bible, um, you know, you've got, you know, even David and Goliath, I think as you look at that story, you've got uh, the 40 days there and it looks like something's got to come to a head. Who shows up in the nick of time? David. And God, that just seems to be one of his characteristics. He knows when to intervene, how to intervene. And uh, it's a good, de- yeah, a good demonstration right, of his power. Stan? Well, I don't know how this, this period of time when Satan loses, whether he's going to do it gradually, whether he's going to just jump right in the middle of everything and all 15 feet. So it's difficult to say whether it's progressing, right. whether we're in it, when it's going to come to an end. My personal opinion is, yes, we may be in it, but we're definitely not close to the end. Yeah. The reason I say that is because, yes, we look around us and we see some things happening here in this country that are definitely are not good. The church isn't dead, even here. But when you look at what's happening in throughout the world, 
there are things that are happening as far as the church is concerned that we don't have a lot of knowledge of. We'll get bits and pieces of it, but it's definitely not at a point. If anything, and I don't have any numbers to back this up, it appears to be growing in the world. And that would not seem to be the end of it. Yeah, I would agree. When you look at some other, I, for example, read a report about some people, a team that went to India. I'm not sure how many people were part of the team, but they baptized around 900 people. Now, that's a lot of folks, um, at least based on what we typically see in the um, you, you know, United States. You have to have several congregations probably working for several years to come up with that many people, and here they did it in a few weeks. Uh, so there, you know, like you say, worldwide, there are certainly some bright spots, but there does seem to also be an increase. But... Um, the picture here is really dismal, and when people get to that time, it's not going to be a very pleasant thing. Uh, that kind of heads me to my next point, but still not there. Anybody else want to add or ask something? Well, that kind of goes along with back in Noah's day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it was something that got progressively worse. You know, had you lived in the time of Noah, okay, things, you know, were, were not good, but by the time you get to the flood, I mean, God says it's time to, you know, you know take care of things, it's time to wipe wipe things up, because... Um, you know, things are just really uh, so bad that evil was off the chart. All right, now, if I were sitting in a Bible class and someone were presenting this information, the thing that might come to my mind was, is the teacher trying to predict the end of time? You know, are, are we having some information given out here that would contradict somehow Matthew 24, verse 36? Uh, that would be the question on the mind. And I think there were, uh, is an author, Jim Waldron, he's done a lot of writing in the uh, church. He wrote a little commentary in Revelation that gives a good answer to that. He says, the brief time in which Satan will have regained his authority over the nations will be so ordinary in worldly affairs that humanity will not perceive the impending destruction from heaven. The Apostle Paul made uh, this very point when he said, for you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they're saying peace and safety, then uh, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 2 through 3. Now that to me seems to be exactly right. When you, again, go back and you look at the comparison that Jesus gave between Noah's time and his day and coming, his, day and, uh, his uh, next and final coming, the people in Noah's day, did they think that life was unusual? They were marrying, they were planning marriages. They were doing all the basic things of life. And if you go back in the latter half of Matthew 24 and you see what Jesus said, the Lord said his coming is unknown. We can't determine when that's, that's going to be. Uh, he said things are going to be like normal. There will be no specific warning signs. Parties, weddings will be taking place. People will not have any extraordinary concerns. Life will, see, uh, life will seem like normal. And again, he emphasized no signs are going to be given. So it's, it's possible. And even for Christians, we find ourselves, I think, in that same kind of thing uh, today, you know, you're watching uh, a TV show, bang, this guy murders somebody. Well, generally, because of our society, we don't think twice about that. Now, if it were outside or we're, you know, standing outside and we personally witness it, maybe a little different situation. Uh, you know, Teresa and I, every once in a while, um, you know, we'll, uh, we've got uh, probably a handful of TV shows that we like to watch together. Um, but, you know, on some of those, it's just a little too gruesome for both of us. You know, it's kind of like we don't want to watch that. Or let's just look away for a couple minutes because it's going to be, you know, pretty gruesome. Um, but, you know, you can, little by little, become conditioned to where uh, evil. Uh, for example, you know, our country right now, as far as same-sex same -sex marriage, uh, you know, you may have seen the other day that Kentucky kind of, uh, you know, caved in on that. And 
um, certainly other states. And little by little, the more of that that takes place, people are conditioned to accept that. And, um, you know, as Christians, we can become desensitized to those things, and we begin to live in a world, we begin to function in a society where, okay, well, that's just the way things are. Yeah, we don't like it, but, you know, that's just the way things typically go in the world. Uh, so again, that seems to me to be helpful in realizing that you do have some information about what the world's going to be like, but people are just not going to uh, take that as far as, you know, the, we're in the final days, we're in the final weeks or months or years or so forth, uh, because they just anticipate that this is going to be how it is. Thoughts that you have on that point? Okay, let's dig into this a little more. In verse 8, it uh, talks about Satan deceiving. He says the four corners of the earth, and then he uh, refers to Gog and Magog. Okay, those words probably sound like foreign words to us, and in some respects they are. But as you look at John's um, original readers, they probably would have connected this information back to what Ezekiel had to say in Ezekiel chapter uh, 38 and Ezekiel 39. I'd like to run a couple of people back there and have some references read. Ezekiel 39, 1-6. to and then Ezekiel 39, 9 to 10, and then Ezekiel 39, 11 to 16. Let's have three different sets of readers. Brian, if you'll pick up Ezekiel 39, 1 to 6, and then after that we'll look at verses 9 and 10 in this chapter. Ezekiel 39, 9 and 10, Jenny. And after that we'll look at Ezekiel 39, 11 to 16, Bonnie. Okay, Brian, let's look at the first six verses. look at those first six verses or as you uh, listen to what was read, what's it sound like? Good things or bad things going to happen? Well, God says, I'm going to send a fire on you. Well, that's probably pretty bad. It's a way of saying judgment. Well, John seems to have pulled from that Old Testament background, Gog and Magog, and we'll have a couple more verses about them, to say, for the end of time, God's enemies are also going to be judged. All right, let's pick up a couple more passages here that will be even more interesting. Ezekiel 39, verses 9 and 10. Okay, now, Gog and Magog are pictured as having some weapons. Now, remember, they're God's enemies, Ezekiel 39, verses 1 through 6. God says, here's what's going to happen. The weapons used by Gog and Magog, what's going what's to happen to them? They're going to be brought together. And who's going to use them? The people of Israel. People of Israel are going to use them for how many years? Seven years. Well, there's probably some symbolism there. But anyway, he says they're going to be used for seven years. And what are the weapons of Gog and Magog going to be used for for seven years? God says you're going to turn them into firewood. Can you imagine that? God delivers these people into the hands of Israel and says even their weapons are going to be taken. 
the overthrow is going to be so great, you're going to be able to use their weapons for firewood. Wow. Well, again, it was a good illustration for John to use. And then let's look at Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 11 through 16. Now, God said, you're going to suffer. You're going to die. You're going to be overthrown, Ezekiel 39, verses 1 through 6. Here's what's going to happen to your weapons. They're going to be turned into firewood. And now God says in these final verses, Ezekiel 39, verses 11 through 16, you are going to die. And not only are you going to die, a lot of you are going to die. Let's have that read, verses 11 to 16. Stop right there. Read that again, those last eight or nine words. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them. Okay, I know you didn't probably get down to verse 16, but let's just stop there for the sake of the reading. God says, Gog, Magog, you're going to lose so many people that Israel will have to bury you guys for how many months? Seven months. Well, again, I think there's probably some symbolism there. How long is seven months? That's about 210 days, isn't it? Now, can you imagine doing nothing but burying people for 210 days? That's a lot of funerals. It says then that they may cleanse the land. Yeah. So again, you can see that how it's connected to Revelation. You've got God's enemies, the unrighteous, Revelation 20, and God says, we're going to get rid of them. They're going to be completely thrown out. They're going to be completely separated from my people. Nothing as far as an unrighteous person and an unrighteous being can be in my presence. So when he uses Gog and Magog, you do have some Old Testament characters uh, that are mentioned as far as Gog and Magog. Some people have tried to claim that Russia is Gog and Magog. Um, but the background for this really seems to be what we have here in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Um, the RSV translation of verse 8, I think, does a really good job. It says, And will come out to deceive the nations, which are at the four corners of the earth, that is Gog and Magog. Uh, and again, Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, Gog and Magog represent God's enemies. And the picture is Satan is going to uh, deceive a lot of folks, um, you know, four corners of the earth, and he's going to do a very good job at that. But again, in the end, that's not going to work out too well for the people who follow him. Uh, one source said, and I like the quote, he said, Gog and Magog do not gather around a conference table and offer themselves to the devil in a nefarious act. But being deceived, they are drawn to him as were the kings of old. Now, I think that's very good as far as trying to point out that the nations, they're not out there actively seeking Satan. Satan's seeking them. And he's able to deceive them. Somehow he's able to suck them into his fold and they do his will. And then the other quick point there, I think in verse 8, where John, as he talks about these enemies represented by Gog and Magog, he compares them at the uh, end of verse 8 to what? The... The sand of the sea. When you think about the sand by the seashore, how many granules of sand do you find? Yeah. So this is an Old Testament expression uh, that we see in passages like Joshua 11 verse 4, 2 Samuel 17 11, which mean a lot. And it's one more way to emphasize the four corners of the earth, Gog, Magog, these pictures for God's enemies. Uh, when we get into Satan and his little season, the church is literally going to feel like it is surrounded by some very bad folks. And it's going to be a very, very difficult time as John's going to further uh, describe in verse 9. Anything that you want to say or ask before we pick up with the ninth verse? Okay, let's read that and get as far as we can. And they went up over the breadth of the earth, 
encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down out of heaven and devoured them. Now, as you look at that pronoun, they, that refers back to somebody. Who do you think the they refers back to? And they went up. They were going over the breadth of the earth. They compassed the, they compassed the camp of the saints about. Who's the they? All right, Satan and his helpers, the pagan nations, uh, the nations that he's enlisted and so forth. Well, that's what's going to happen when Satan has his little season, verse 3, and he's going to have a lot of co-workers. You have also in verse 9 a reference to a city. And how is this city described? It is described as the beloved city. What do you think that refers to? What's the beloved city? Well, I... I would think so, but let's define that a little more. You, Marcia, gave a good answer, a Bible answer, but who do you think the New Jerusalem, the new city, refers to? All right, the church. Well, that's what's going to be the object of Satan's, you know, attack, if you will, ultimately. Wants to deceive people, wants them to be um, off spiritually so they're unsaved, but also he wants to attack God's people. And this kind of sets the stage for what we find in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. In fact, in Revelation 21 too, if you look across the page, he says, and I saw what? The, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Uh, well, I've already kind of tipped my hand as far as Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, it's my thinking that we're dealing with the church primarily in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Uh, so Satan has an interest, obviously, in destroying the church. It's going to suffer uh, during the little season that we see described in Revelation chapter 20. And it's going to be so awful that God's people, like, God's people will feel like they have been um, you know, surrounded by their persecutors. And when you see that word camp, anything come to mind? God's people are compared to a camp. Has there ever been a time when God's people were involved with camping, quote unquote? Alright, you could, you could point back to Acts 1 and Acts 2. Anything prior to that, though? All right, we've got Israel. Out there in the wilderness, they've got their own little camp. If you will, Exodus 29, verse 14. So Satan can't attack heaven now. But he can attack who and where? All right, he can't attack God's people, uh, the church, and that, of course, is going to be an activity that takes place on the earth. Um, God's people... If they're living during that time, and certainly the time prior to that, they need to be strong, they need to be faithful in the Lord, and God says, I'm going to take care of you. In this case, God's people will be delivered, and you have that described as this fire coming down and devouring people. That is the unrighteous. Now, we do not know, at least I don't know, if this fire is something that should be looked at literally or symbolically, and it really doesn't matter. The key point is God's people are going to be uh, delivered. The evil folks are going to be destroyed. The fire could be literal. Remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, the Bible talks about Jesus in flaming fire at the end of time, coming to render vengeance on those that know not God and those that obey not the gospel. So, based on that passage, there is the image of fire associated with Jesus' next and final coming. Peter, as he talks about the end of the world, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7, 10, and 12, he also associates the idea of fire with this time. Or it could be that it is a symbolic image to say, you know, fire destroys things, and this might be a figurative way of saying that the people are, are going to be destroyed who have uh, tried to oppress God's people. Uh, but the basic point is God's going to uh, return through the sun. He's going to inflict swift, full, and permanent punishment on the unsaved at the end of time. Pharaoh faced that kind of fate. 
uh, in a physical sense, likely in a spiritual sense as well, but that's certainly going to happen to those who are opposing God's people. And then you have, you look ahead just a little bit in verse 10, the demise of Satan. Uh, The Lord returns, the evil people are overthrown, the devil that deceived them, that is the nations, was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where are also the beast and the false prophet, beast being evil civil government, the false prophet representing false religion, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So it is some really, really great imagery, should be comforting information to God's people, and an encouragement to stay faithful, because we do not want to be on the side of the folks that are going to be punished in eternity. Some additional thoughts that you have. Well, uh, I think uh, when it comes to pain and suffering, a lot of people would rather say if we can escape some of that, we would prefer that. Um, So whatever that little time is going to be like, you know, we're just getting a a small taste of it now as far as some of the things that the world uh, has done to Christians and can do to Christians. But... Uh, it, it definitely seems like it's going to be a very, very unpleasant time. Kitty, were you? Okay, I thought there was another hand back there. Really makes us want to focus on the future of church or children. So it, it is them. Yeah. Mean, yeah. Wow. At least one generation. And that may not be, like I say, we don't know how long a little season is, right. but some people who are Christians are going to be living during that time. So there will be at least one generation that faces that, maybe several generations, because we don't know if it's going to be days, weeks, months, years, um, you know, 100 years, 1,000 years. We just don't know. But the Bible says it will come. The Bible says that the people who are living during that time are going to you know, have their hands full, basically. Uh, when you bear in mind that image from Revelation 20, verse 9, that God's people will be encircled by their enemies. Um, and I think you have to consider that during that time, just like people going through difficult times today, Folks will wonder, you know, does God love me? Does God really care for me? What will be one of the reminders that people who live during that time uh, can and, and uh, should keep in mind to answer the question, does God love me? What's the old, Well, that's the right answer. But if we give a, a basis, a reason for that answer, what might it be? How do I know God loves me? All right, he sent his son, his only son. So there is an ongoing answer for that. And then a person may also wonder, does God have enough power to rescue me? Well, the answer to that question is yes. But as we talked about earlier in the class, he will rescue you in at the appropriate time. And his time is not always our time. We have to wrestle with that fact in our life as we deal with various things. And the people who go through this period will also have to be mindful of that fact. Stan? Um, you made the comment earlier on in the class, so I'm going to back up a little bit about the fact that the people during Noah's time did they think that things were unusual, that life was any different than what they had a reason to expect? I couldn't help but think that obviously Noah was looking at it from a different perspective. But uh, the fact that this, this huge boat and all the activity that Noah's got going on and everything, even that, as unusual as it was, didn't make those people think because they thought he was crazy. Yeah. And they just discounted, just discarded, didn't even consider whatever he was doing. So it was it's really strange that he was doing that in the middle of, of all the activity that was going on around him, and yet those people didn't. Well, you can imagine a similar thing today as far as work. People talk, what are you going to do this weekend? Well, you know, we've got uh, the church meeting. Oh, come on. You know, that religion stuff. 
you know, so people have always been good about mocking. Peter talked about scoffers in the last days, and, and that has happened in the past and surely will in the future as well. But, yeah, for the world, life just continues on. And as I said, we can become desensitized to that and expect that, well, hey, this is just the way life is. Tracy. Well, and that is one of the things about natural weather events as well as people. If you can start something, a lot of times it picks up energy and grows. With people, if you head them in a certain direction, a lot of times people will get on board. Uh, for example, somebody says, let's start a petition. Well, after the first hundred names, you're probably pretty well on the way to 1,000 and maybe 10,000 and maybe 100,000. And evil is certainly the same way. When you start, you just look at the flash mobs that take place in society. You start getting some people worked up to engage in evil, and folks are going to join that movement and stay together until something stops them. Glenda? Yeah, people have different ideas about that. Some think there was a water canopy. Um, you know, there are multiple ideas about that. But whatever the situation was, they apparently didn't think highly of it. Uh, and it would be interesting, too, we're not told if Noah was told where to build the ark. But if the closest water, you know, was 10 or 20 or 30 miles away, especially when you began to look at the dimensions of the ark, I think most people, unless they had some kind of faith or, um, you know, something like that, they would think, you're nuts. You know, if you were building a rowboat, it wouldn't make much sense to build it 20 miles from water, let alone this monstrosity. 